This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramaytush Ohlone land. For over two decades, Deborah Egerton has been teaching the Enneagram, a popular personality typing tool, as a valuable device for social justice and anti-racism. In this episode, Dr. Egerton is joined by Mickey Scott Bay-Jones, Enneagram teacher and multi-faith movement chaplain, for an empowering conversation exploring social justice through the lens of the Enneagram. Drawing on Dr. Egerton's work and latest book, No Justice, No Peace, their conversation illuminates how the inner work of each of the nine Enneagram archetypes creates healing, elevates consciousness, and aligns us as individuals with the heart of humanity in order to eliminate systemic racism. They invite us to explore our own personality archetype in order to activate ourselves as allies within a beloved community, a community that acknowledges that while we may come in many shades and colors, we are part of one human race. This episode was recorded during a live online event on March 30th, 2023. You can also watch it on the CIIS Public Programs YouTube channel. A transcript is available at ciispod.com. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Welcome, everyone. We are so glad that you are here with us tonight. And um, I just have to start by first thanking Alex um, and the team that is putting this together um, for inviting me um, to be a part of this conversation with a mentor of mine. And I, Dr. E, you know this, but I want to make sure everyone else knows that you are a mentor. And, and I look at you as kind of a mama bear for a lot of us younger, and I say younger in quotes because we're not all that young. (laughs) We're just maybe the next generation of Enneagram teachers and coaches and practitioners. And so many of us, especially those that are Black, Indigenous, um, Latinx, like all of uh, all people of color, um, marginalized teachers, so many of us um, are privileged to know you and to be taken under your wing. And so I'm just grateful that other people get to be introduced to you tonight and even know you in that capacity, right? That you are pouring into that next generation because you are really a legacy teacher. You know, we so often only include the, maybe the older white male and female teachers, um, sometimes even the women, but you know, that's who's included as the legacy teachers, but you truly are one of the legacy Enneagram teachers. So this is a huge treat tonight for people to be able to hear your wisdom and not just the standard Enneagram teachings, but we are really getting to talk about something that you've been a pioneer in, which is the Enneagram and social justice. So thank you so much for the the role you have in my life and the role that you are playing tonight by teaching so many of us about your work. 
Well, Mickey, thank you so much for that. And uh, yes, you know, I, I think of you as a daughter um, and I love you dearly. So I yeah. couldn't be happier than to be doing this with you and recognizing yeah. that as I look at that next generation, that I am working to pass this work on to looking at the caliber of human beings who are graciously not only accepting it, but doing the things with it that need to be done in order to innovate and elevate and move the work forward. And to me, that is powerful. I know that there are shoulders that I stand on that I would not be able to have done what I do now without the wisdom teachers and the legacy teachers that I had. And, you know, to be very, very honest and clear about this, I came along in a time where I was growing up when Martin Luther King was leading the civil rights movement, when Malcolm X was uh, assassinated, when all of our great leaders were assassinated, when all of these things were happening, I was actually alive and old enough to understand some of it and to begin to study it and to look at it in through a lens that helped me recognize that people were being treated differently. People were being marginalized and that we would have to learn how to continue to move forward even when some of our greatest leaders were struck down. So this has been the work of my life and of my heart. It is my purpose and my passion. And when I found the Enneagram, it was really, um, and I, I don't censor my, my language, I'm a woman of faith. And to me, it was God's gift to say, here's something that you I'm giving to you to be able to make this work more understandable to people in the world mm. so that you can actually be a force and a vessel for bringing people together. Um, you know, when we can understand one another, then we can get to those next steps. But without communication and understanding, we will never get to acceptance and inclusion. And we got stuck, Nikki, at tolerance. Tolerance is a word mm. that makes my, you know, just literally makes my hair stand on end. Because when we got to tolerance, so many thought that was that was it. You know, that was the panacea. Yeah. But tolerance was simply one step. And tolerance is not inclusion. Uh, tolerance is not acceptance. It's certainly not uh, belonging or celebration. So, you know, these are some things that we'll be talking about. And like I said, I'm so um, delighted with the generation that will carry this on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, I love it. You're jumping right in, but let's roll it back just a little bit for folks who are joining us that might not know what the Enneagram is at all. Um, so I would love for you to just explain a little bit about the Enneagram. And then, um, you know, I know that you talk about this in the term of waking up. So give us a little bit on Enneagram and how you wake up in general and then to social justice. 
So the Enneagram um, is actually, uh, the symbol is an ancient um, symbol of nine different personality archetypes. And I want to make it clear because sometimes people get very confused when they talk about how old the ancient, the, uh, the Enneagram is. The symbol is very old. It predates Plato. We don't know where its true origin comes from. And uh, I can share that um, I just came back from Egypt, spending a month over there tracing the roots of the Enneagram and looking at ancient civilizations and looking at just ways that it appeared even back during the times of the ancient Egyptians. Uh, but the typology of personality is came over to um, the Western world. Um, we started looking at that more or less in the 80s. And we began to see how some of the founding fathers of the Enneagram um, were able to create a typology of personality. So we have this ancient spiritual wisdom, and then we also have modern psychology combining to create the Enneagram as we know it today. Uh, I could say a lot more about that, but I don't think that's the best use of our time. Uh, the nine different points on the Enneagram represent to, in my words, it's nine different energies. And at each of these points, there is a very strong energy that we embody as individuals. Now we have all nine of those points of energy within us, but one of them leads. And the important part of learning how to understand and embrace the Enneagram is to recognize that the point that dominates or that leads within you is really the place where you get stuck. And a mm. lot of people like to talk, well, they'll say, well, I don't want to be typed. Don't put me in a box. I don't even like to use the word Enneagram type. I talk about it more as the nine different points and the point where you stand. Uh, but really what the Enneagram does is it helps you to see where you're stuck and what the box is that you're trapped in that you haven't yet learned how to get yourself out of. That's so right. The study of the Enneagram is, um, and I, I, I laugh about this, uh, for many years when I actively practiced as a, a psychotherapist, I would tell people, you know, that they needed to do their inner work. And if I had a dollar for every time someone said, what do you, what, what, what is inner work? You know? Yeah. Um, but the Enneagram helps you to understand what inner work is and how to do mm. it. You know, it's picking up a mirror and really looking beyond your superficial image, but really looking at the depth of your own soul. And to me, the Enneagram gives you an opportunity to touch your soul and you will go as far with your inner work as you are willing and as deep as you are willing to go to touch your own soul. So mm. is just an amazing and beautiful way to see yourself through the eyes of God. And when we mm. do, we learn that we are lovable, that we are whole, 
that we are not broken and that the wounded parts of us are capable and we have the capacity to heal. But you can't heal until you look at your own wounds. And the Enneagram helps you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're using God language, but I think, you know, both of us approach the Enneagram in a way where, you know, whatever God, universe, spirit, you know, whatever that is for you, the Enneagram isn't attached to any religion or, or belief system, you know, and some of us are introduced to it that way. We are introduced to it through faith communities or through certain people. And then there's confusion about, is it attached to a particular tradition? And I know you don't teach it that way. Some people might, they might attach their own spiritual tradition to it. But you, you know, I know you've worked with people all over the world um, coming from lots of different backgrounds. Absolutely. And I will say that uh, something that I share with people all the time, uh, I'm clear about my own path on the, Enne- on the Enneagram. Um, however, there are different ways that you enter into the Enneagram world. <laughs> and it's That's really right. funny, you know, like I said, over these past, you know, two and a half decades now of working with the Enneagram, I have seen people in the corporate world uh, yes. come into the Enneagram and it's all about team building and it's all about learning how to, um, Uh, become a better leader or to be promoted within the organization. Uh, And that's the lane that maybe corporate wants me to stay in with them. And I can stay there. But what always happens is that there are a few people that will end up following me over to another path. And then they'll become more curious about the spiritual path of the Enneagram. And then there are that are just interested in sort of the psychological components of the Enneagram. So there's many, many ways to enter it. And whichever door you choose as an entryway, what actually happens is that the Enneagram is going to be as useful to you as you allow yourself to go on the deep dive. So the door yeah. that you enter through really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that because I think now with it becoming so popular and there's just, you know, memes online, we can really get caught up in, well, they don't, they're not doing true Enneagram or they're not, you know, like, I don't even care if somebody gets their type wrong, quote unquote, because I'm like, they're learning to work with the system and they're learning to understand what inner work is. And, you know, it's kind of like nine different maps for your journey. So, you know, sometimes you, you remember those big map books that you used to be able to get at the gas station, you know, and, you know, you might end up with the wrong page on the map at first. And that's okay. You flip to the next page. So if somebody starts with the wrong quote unquote number as their map, that's fine. They'll get there eventually. It's, it's going to be fine. Everybody calm down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I love about that is that if, in fact, you start out, and I, as I say to people, you may have gotten into the right neighborhood, but you may not have found your house, you know? Yeah. 
So, you know, just kind of keep searching. And an important part of that is that even if the, the, the point of the Enneagram that you initially invest in is not your point, and you find that out later, you've learned a lot about one of the other points on the Enneagram that happens right. to be inside of you and that will help you to relate and connect to other people. So there is no amount of time that you put into the Enneagram that is useless. That's right. You have all nine of those energies within you. Yeah. And, yeah. and Nikki, it's so powerful to be able to meet someone's energy because you understand what's operating behind, you know, yeah. that whole egoic agenda. You understand that. So that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had the experience of, of being kind of mistyped or mistyping myself at first because, and we're, this is kind of getting into the social justice part and I want to kind of transition us there, but, you know, my friends that I was discovering the Enneagram with, they're like, oh, you must be an eight, you know? And of course they're thinking this is a black woman. She's assertive and she says what she means. And she, you know, walks into a room and, and she commands attention and she's a leader. And so that got me labeled as an eight. And it wasn't until reading Richard Rohr's description of a type one, particularly around the inner critic, that I, I mean, I must've just, had just salty drops on that page when I started reading that because the tears, the like immediate understanding of what was actually happening. But no one had ever talked about the inner critic when they were describing me. They were only because they were observing my actions. They didn't have access to my inner world. Right. And so that really broke me open seeing that there was another thing that I could, could consider and really start to do that inner work. But that time wasn't wasted thinking I was an eight or that I led with an eight, you know? Um, and, you know, I have a, a similar story because also I stand at point one on the Enneagram and uh, I'm a black woman and obviously I'm an activist. And of course, everyone said, you're, you must be an eight. No, I'm not an eight, but for me, the recognition came very sudden. It came immediately and it came hard. And, mm. and I, I, I share this with people because um, sometimes finding your point on the Enneagram can be an uncomfortable experience. And for sure. me, when I first found my point at point one, um, I curled up in a little ball and I just cried. I just cried and it was, no, my intention in moving through the world is to make things better, to help yeah. people fix things. And I could see all the ways that I might have been trying to help or to fix where I may have done harm. Yeah. So I immediately had to move into that mode of healing myself and then being able to go out into the world um, and doing the social justice work. Because what I do know is that for communities that are marginalized, we don't always have access to the tools or the mechanisms of change and healing that are pretty ubiquitous 
But if we don't have the, the open access, if we don't have the resources, and the resources include time, you know, if you're working three jobs and uh, taking care of several children and you're you're involved in their activities, your job, keeping your home together, doing all the things and wearing all the hats that you have to wear in the world. And there's still enough, not enough money to go around at the end of the day. This sounds like it might be a luxury. This sounds like it might be something that you can't afford to do. But that's, that's not right. true. You know, it's not true. And Mickey, you and I mm -hmm. are people who are working to make the Enneagram more accessible in the world so that particularly people who are marginalized, who are, as I call us, love warriors, um, that we will have access, open access to mechanisms that will allow us to heal. And we need that. We really need that. Yes, that's that's really part of my motivation of becoming a, an, an Enneagram teacher, becoming certified, becoming accredited. I wanted to provide, not that you can't learn the Enneagram from anybody, you can, but there are, are a lot of trust issues, right? Um, and with things that seem like they are primarily for one type of person. And I know the way it's changed my life. And I wanted us to have more access. I really did. And so for me as a, a black woman, as a queer woman, um, and, you know, just, I wanted to make sure that um, there were more teachers that, that look like me out there. Um, and that we could, you know, that you don't, your only option isn't going away to, you know, Santa Barbara for a week and a half to sit in a circle and explore yourself. Like, that's not accessible to a lot of people. So how can we do this in a different way that it's actually incorporated into your life? You know, so, so let's talk a little bit about how you, you break it down in the book, um, you know, that each type kind of has their own work to do, their own gifts, maybe even superpowers to bring to the work of social change. Um, and, and you, you, you kind of, you know, start with the three centers and, and three categories built around those centers and then go into the types. So I know we can't go in depth into all the types, but maybe you could start with the centers and, and a little bit about sort of those, you know, what's different for each point. Yeah, I can, I can do the, you know, the uh, 60,000 foot view <laughs> and uh, just pique the curiosity of our audience. But, um, you know, we, we have three centers of intelligence. Uh, we have a body center, a heart center, and a head center. And probably one of the most powerful things that I learned, um, you know, later on in the Enneagram, when I, when I recognized that the body, not only does it keep score, shout out to an amazing mm -hmm. author, but uh, the body has a wisdom all its own. And there That's are... Right three types that are in what we call the body center or the gut, you know, sort of like that intuitive wisdom that rises up from your belly. It's that thing that happens, Mickey, when you know your kids are not where you told them to be. No, something's not right here. You know, you yeah. know how you know that, but that is kind of 
gut wisdom, you know, that, 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 that intuitive, you know, our grandmothers used to call it, you know, mother's wit, uh, mm-hmm. women's intuition, all of those things. We all have it. We all have that, that sort of belly-based knowing without knowing. And within those, within that, that, that center right there um, is the eight, the nine, and the one or in the belly center. And uh, what I call eights, nines, and ones are defenders, defenders, all right? These are the people who their energy is to kind of get out in front of things or get in the middle of things, even when they don't necessarily want to, because the eight will get right out in front and, uh, and well, you know, we'll call you out. We'll absolutely yeah. have no problem <laughs> with saying this is messed up. This is yeah. just wrong. All right. So the eight has that kind of superpower to call it and tell it like it is. The nine, yeah. who is also in the belly center, it's, it's fascinating because nines don't like conflict. But in the social change work, what begins to happen at point nine is there is a sort of leaning back and watching all the chaos and com- confusion and mm. then synthesizing, a bringing it together in a way where all the thoughts that have been expressed, have been listened to, have been heard, have been processed through the mind of the one. And it's really processed through the gut, where mm-hmm. it's gut with this, this wisdom. And then the nine will come back with a very simple solution that everyone can turn around and go, yeah, wow. Oh, yeah. Work. That, that would work, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a superpower that is so needed when people are trying to get out there and figure out, you know, what to do. And then they're clashing. But nines, even not like in conflict are brilliant mediators. And it's amazing if you ever watch a nine do that. And then there's you and me, Mickey, there's the ones, you know, (laughs) we are uh, not going to sit around and watch something that is broken and not working for the good of humanity and just sit on our thumbs. We're not going to do that. You know, we're going to, speak truth to power we're going to organize and activate and actually go out and be the defenders of all who need to be defended and something that i love about um the energy of the defenders is that there is a sort of universal goodness in the way of oh well you're marginalized and so are you, and so are you. Okay, we're all love warriors. Let's get together and figure out how we work together and help each other. And I've seen that frequently in the defenders, which is a lovely thing to have happen. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Once you're in the fight, you're in the fight, you know? Yeah. Let's get in this and let's figure out how we can do it together. So that's yeah. the G of, you know, the belly center. Yeah. And you know what, uh, Dr. E, that's fascinating because that you said we kind of get together and do this. 
I, I will hear people, you know, we have our, our stereotypes of different types. I will hear other people of other types um, or other points talk about having trouble with eights. And I love them. <laughs> I have no trouble because I, I understand their energy and I'm not intimidated by it. They're big old teddy bears. That doesn't bother me at all. You can stomp your feet all you want. I'm not scared. So it's it's an interesting, but also I, I, I really enjoy, you know, what tends to be a more that observing laid back vibe of a nine. Like there's something all about, even though we very, we have very different expressions of that body energy, um, you know, it, to me, there's some understanding there within this grouping that it just works. Yeah. And it's an amazing understanding. Um, I've been married to a nine for 42 years. So uh, as much as I know one, I know nine as well. And I have watched uh, the nines around me and, you know, cohabitated with a, a very loving nine. And I just understand the, the inner workings of how for nines, there is this really important thing that the other eight types do not share. When the other eight types actually try to engage to do social change work, there is an agenda of some sort. There is something that that each point on the Enneagram really is trying to achieve. The nine is trying to achieve peace. So there's not this underground sort of personal agenda. Uh, that's why nines are so good at bringing us together because their underlying agenda is how do we get to peace? How do we yeah. actually move forward together? So those are the, the, the defenders. And eight, nine, and one, uh, just, just look at the superpower that you have. The voice of the eight and the action of the eight, the peacemaking and bringing together ability of the nine, and the sort of fearless activation of the one to do the right thing and to do the right thing for all. But then, you know, if you have just that energy that you're running off of, you can burn yourself out, which is That's why right. the energy of the heart, which is where we find our healers, you know, mm -hmm. the two, the threes and the fours. And people who stand at point two are amazing in social change work because at the end of the day, the need to give and receive love comes from, in this work, a place of wanting people to be healed and to be well and to feel love and to be able to give love back. So at, for, at point two, that is just so, so just, it's, it's in the very air that twos grieve. And the superpower of the two really is getting in it and taking care of all of the people who are in the struggle, keeping mm -hmm. their finger on the pulse of the individuals that are going out into the world doing this work. You know, just being there and knowing, I can't tell you how many times the twos on my team have said, Dr. E. We can't do that. That's too many things in one day. And no, 
it's too much of an agenda. You're going to kill those people. <laughs> yeah. And I listen to them because I know their finger is on the pulse of the people that we're working with. Yeah, the on three, what they need. Absolutely. Now, now our threes, got to love a three. If there's yeah. an obstacle in the path, if there's something that we need to literally move out of the way and it's too heavy to lift, the threes that have engaged in this work will come back and say, you know, we can get around that. Let me tell hmm. you how, you know? Yeah. So there's there's a, a resourcefulness, a resourcefulness hmm. that keeps the defenders from burning out because mm-hmm. when we get to a place and we feel like we're, we're we're at a wall that we just can't knock down, if we didn't have the twos looking out for us and if we didn't have the threes coming up with the resourceful ways or the connections or knowing the people to be able to help us get around an obstacle, it wouldn't go forward. And so that's the superpower that I see and the gift that threes bring to social change and social justice. And then the fours. Um, I I love this this particular descriptor and I always give Russ Hudson credit for it because when he said these words um, one time at at a training early on, he said the fours are the holders of the beauty in the world. And it totally transformed the way that I viewed fours. So the superpower and the gift that the fours have to bring to this work is really their capacity to be in it with you with Mm -hmm. empathy and love and without the judgment. You know, it's just being with it with you understanding that there's a lot of suffering in this type of work and not everyone can deal with the suffering, but a four can deal with the suffering and at the same time, stand right by your side and let you know that, you know what, you're, you're not going to fall over and die. I got you. Yeah. You you know, Uh, that's gift they're not trying to fix you they're not trying to make you better they're just there with you saying i got you and we can we can we can bear this we can bear this that's right um an example of that which was um with the this last video um of uh nichols right before i was on my mr nichols And, you know, I can't bring myself to even say the name because I still haven't healed from that, you know, um, and I was leaving the country and I had a conversation Mm. with a very dear friend who was a four. And she said to me, she said, Deborah, I called you because I was thinking of you when I watched this. And I know mm. it broke your heart. And she said, I don't want you to feel like all the work that you're doing is in vain. We, we know that it's going to get better. And 
I just want to be here for you just in case mm-hmm. you need to talk. You know, not trying to fix me, um, not trying to justify or, you know, get into a deep discussion, but just letting me know that there was a presence there that was there for me if I needed just to sit in silence with her. And that is something that fours offer that is very much needed because there are points in time, Mickey, when we need that. We can't talk about it. We don't want to see it anymore. We just need a moment to take a breath. And a four will breathe with you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, the way I think about it, Dr. E, is that, you know, I, so, you know, being at point one, we have access to that four energy, that four power. So I know when I'm in that four power, because a four, not only will they sit in the sackcloth and ashes with you, they will go get some more ashes and be like, I got this. I I, I can handle some more. Let's do it. Bring it to me. They are in it. I know. Well, it's funny because I know with my line to four, and I don't want to get too deep into that because we're 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 kind of staying at the at a at a level where everyone can understand. But there right. are connections to different points, and at one we have a connection of four, and so my four pity parties are particularly pitiful. I mean, <laughs> when I get down there. I'm not finished until I have wallowed completely on the ground, you know? And then if I realize that there's nobody around to witness this, I may move myself to a room in the house where I can be heard. (laughs) (laughs) So, so when I, mine is that I just say, I, I, I'll do, I'll do whatever I have to do, but I'm going to have to cry about it first, but then it's fine. (laughs) Then it's okay. It's okay. Yes. Uh, But yes. Um, and at the same time, because ones and fours, fours really understand each other at a very deep level, sometimes I'll have to turn around to my fourth friend and say, don't get caught up in the overwhelm of all of this. You know, I'm going to yeah. be okay, you know? So it's kind of a taking care of each other. But those are the, the two, the three, and the four in the heart center, but in three very different ways. Very you know? different. Very different ways, but each of them has that superpower. And then when we go up to our head center, we have the fives, the six, and the seven. And I call the head center types bridge builders because they're the types that have the energy to sort of develop the plan, to figure it out, you know, to look at all that we're trying to do and to, you know, just kind of, as I, to use the vernacular, come correct and be on point, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's just a beautiful way of the way we know that fives can see the big picture of things. And so we'll look at the historical evolution of something yeah. so that we don't make the wrong moves in the present because we haven't taken in the facts from the past. And then looking at how what we do in the present will actually affect the trajectory of what we're trying to achieve in the future. 
No one does that like a five. So mm -hmm. at point five, this is a beautiful thing to watch happen. The taking in of the whole picture. At point six, the bridge building comes making sure that everything is taken into consideration to make sure that the plan is executable. So sixes help us to know what moves to make when. I've always said, if there was ever a, nat a natural disaster, I wanna know where all my six friends live. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're gonna know the escape routes, the evacuation places, all the things that and, and the supplies are already going to be in the trunk of their car. And if we can't That's use right. cars, they've got enough bicycles for us to all get out of town. But this sixes will being prone to that worst case scenario thinking um, and having a committee in their heads are so vital to the actions that we take and the plans that we make because. They help us not to make a lot of mistakes, not to lose a lot of time because it hasn't been mm -hmm. well thought out. Uh, sixes are just uh, undeniably adept at being able to make sure and to look over any plans about doing something, particularly you know, in a social justice movement just calling out what what what's missing, what's missing, who's missing, and what to yeah. do. Uh, and then when we come to point seven, I always laugh by the time I get through, finish talking about all the other types, I'm praying that there's still a couple of sevens left in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just hoping they haven't all left, you know? Uh, but this work, does have a weight to it. There is a heaviness to it, um, um, a serious nature to it that can sometimes just weigh you down. And mm -hmm. what I have found uh, in looking at how the sevens are the bridge builders is because the sevens enter with an energy of positive expectation um, of being able to lift you up and sometimes just make you laugh when you need to, of innovation. You know, you all are trying to do it this way, but actually this is 2023. You know, it would be much better if we actually released several reels or TikToks or whatever it is that needs to be done. There's an innovation to whatever plans are created that just makes it better yeah. and makes us better. Um, I've worked on a few teams where the seven energy was lacking and mm. it became so serious and heavy laden that in those organizations, I was really very grateful when some seven stepped up and joined the team effort. Um, and the whole energy and effort lifted. It just kind of lifted. Yeah. I think you, you know, of course, that sevens are often our first responders in mm -hmm. natural disasters um, because of the sort of the adrenaline 
They want to be helpful. Uh, they want to be there where the action is. They can get in and get out without getting too caught up in it, but doing what they need to do that is very helpful and useful at the time. So yeah. that shows you how every single one of the Enneagram energies has a gift, a superpower, something that they can bring to actually, as I say it, really lean on that moral arc to bend it towards justice. Um, we can do that together, but we need all nine of those energies. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I will say in the book, which I forgot to hold up earlier, I do have right here so people can see what it looks like. Um, you go into the whole story, the whole picture, right? Kind of our, maybe our struggles, the, the you know, things that are in our, um, you know, energies at each point that can get in our way. Um, and then what these superpowers are as well. And I think sometimes when people come to Enneagram work, um, they just dive right into what's wrong with them or, you know, it, it's like people will say, oh, you know your type when you find the type that makes you feel the worst about yourself. And I don't love that personally, because especially for historically marginalized folks, I'm like, we, we are already told to feel bad about ourselves. Like we are pathologized just for who we are often, right? And so we're already trying to <laughs> decolonize from what uh, the mainstream has told us we are. So how about we actually start to look at what's good in us, what's right in us, you know? And so again, my, you know, my energy showing up there, but I want to, that's, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with kind of looking at our assets, um, you know? And so I think about that and I, you know, going back to the, the five, six and seven, the bridge builders, they, I think maybe, and I would love your take on this. I think sometimes they're the ones people don't think of as leaders in social change work. Like we can kind of see where, you know, eights, nines, and ones, where that energy is forceful. They're going to be out front, twos, threes, and fours, that heart. So they're going to, you know, they're going to help with preparing and loving on people and that we can kind of see that. But I, I really see where, you know, with fives, I, I don't know if it's still around, but there was for a while this thing called Data for Black Lives. And it was literally people who got together, they had conferences, all of these things, pulling together all the data on what's happening in our social change movements. That, like, not saying all those people were fives, but like, that's, that's five energy right there, hardcore, you know? And like, sixes, you know, like you're saying, planning, I mean, those are those people who are really doing some of those, that behind the scene work, scenes work and asking the questions that keep us safe. You know, maybe those are our safety teams when we go out and, you know, like that's where maybe a six would plug in is on the safety team during, uh, you know, during a protest and, you know, sevens, yes, that like lovely energy around fun, but also if you want somebody to help you come up with every possible idea for what you could do, <laughs> then get them in a room and tell them to dream big and you will get every idea on the planet, you know, and you'll get the puppets and the, you know, the, the, we're also going to scale a wall at the same time. And we're also, gonna, <laughs> you know, form a chain around the building or we're going to do all the things at once. It's funny, Mickey, because that's one of the reasons that in the book, I give 
live examples of what each point looks like when they are in the process. And I use the umbrella term of othering um, because that's what it is when people are treating any group as less than. So this whole process of othering that people uh, have practiced from the beginning of time, we've always found someone who will be lower than than lower than than you are so that you can feel better about yourself. And it's a pretty crappy thing to do, but it's real and it's lifelong. And you know we can we can we can we can see no end to it uh, in the present tense. But when people are actively othering, we can see that we can recognize that because it's right out there in front. You in the last question uh, you talked about waking up. The part of the world that will never wake up is very large. And this is an area that I focus on in the book, all of the ways that each point of the Enneagram uh, engages in passive othering. In other mm. words, not doing anything to make anything better. And in fact, by not doing anything, making things worse. So it's, uh, examples of looking at what it looks like when someone is is actively othering, which we can say, you know, a white supremacist group, you know, that's active. You understand that. Um, people who uh, are anti-Semitic, it, it, it's it's active. You can understand that. Uh, when you, but when people are passively othering, where they just don't want to talk about it or that has nothing to do with me, or mm -hmm. I, I, you know, do, do I look like I had slaves? I didn't have slaves. So I don't understand why I should even have to engage this conversation. That kind of a putting on the blinders and not being willing to engage in what's actually happening in the present. This yeah. is one of the most important parts of doing the work that we have to look at now. Being in our bodies, opening up our heart space, and being willing to release false narratives, to unlearn some things and relearn some things so that we can actually do the work, the real work of disassembling systemic, patriarchal, um, and norms that have really taken so many of us and put us out on the margins of society. But if we don't yeah. do that real work, then things don't change. So we want to actually get more people to move into the category of allies and advocates. And mm -hmm. one of the most important points around being an ally is you don't get to call yourself an ally. You know, um, you have to be willing to work with the people who are being treated as less than, who are marginalized love warriors. And when we identify people as allies, then you know 
that you're doing that work. You're doing the work of an ally, but we have a lot of people in the category of passive othering who say that they're allies. The actions of an ally are visible. They're mm -hmm. visible, you know, and this is something yeah. that is really important. So I think the examples help people to see what the actions are of people who embody each of those dominant energies and what it looks like when they're doing that work in social change, social justice. Yeah. You know, and I think um, there can be some confusion around like who whose work this is to do. You know, and I think any anybody who's watching something like this, who's participating in something like this, you are you have places of privilege and maybe places of marginalization. Most of us are going to have some, especially because all of us are going to get old. All of us, all of our bodies will break down. Right. So even if you are, you know, kind of the top of the ladder now, at some point you will be older and frailer. And we as a society discriminate against that as well. So we all have work to do because we're all in, you know, a mix of place of privilege and marginalization. Um, you know, I think about me as, um, you know, just as a black woman, I come from, uh, I think I'm third generation college on both sides. Um, my, my one side firmly middle-class black, the other side more working class, but that there are some areas of privilege there that I notice, particularly if I am interacting with, you know, poorer people, I'm like, oh, it's very clear that I have had things like summer camp and college education and a master's and, right? So it's like, uh, those that is a place where I need to understand what it's really like for someone to suffer immense poverty. It's just not, I've had times when I've been poor, but I don't understand that in the same way. And that is a place where I have privilege, right? I'm queer, but I'm a cis woman. I do not know what it's like to be a trans person. And, I, and that is a place of deeper marginalization. And I need to learn and understand from that. And I think one of the tools that helps people in your book is the humanity mosaic, right? I feel like that's, everybody loves it. Could you tell people about that? So the humanity mosaic is um, to explain to you that it's it's sort of um, it came from a place of not being able to identify with this imagery of being of living in a melting pot, and that's what I was taught growing up that particularly the United States was a melting pot and now the world is becoming a melting pot. Well, a melting pot is something where we all jump in it and we all just sort of stir around and then you get, I mean, the image didn't work for me. You know, it's like, no, you don't jump in the melting pot. No, no, you can do that if you want to, but me, I gotta be me, okay? And so um, what I love about the world is the deep, rich, exciting, interesting diversity of each and every one of us, you know, and my, my superpower is love. It's true love for humanity. 
And so, you know, if someone said to me, what is your mission? My mission is to heal humanity in whatever way, whatever way possible. But I want humanity to be able to stand out as a mosaic for each and every one of us. We, we are bright, shiny jewels in this mosaic of differences. And that when we stand back and we look at, at the mosaic of humanity, it's just awe-inspiring. It's awe-inspiring. Our differences are beautiful. Our differences are things that we should be able to actually have appreciative curiosity about. You know, wanting to know more, wanting to learn more about one another and how we navigate the world based on where we come from in the world. Um, and in the mosaic, what I show is, you know, it looks like a big brain and then you see all these different tiles. Uh, but that ring, that very first ring in the center, I have, you know, your, your sort of the Enneagram point is right there in the center. And then around that are all the things that you didn't get to choose that created Mickey. You know, all the things that you didn't get to go to the front of the line and say, excuse me, but could you make me a little bit taller? You know, if, if I could have gone to the front of the line, I would have said, all right, I want to be a little bit taller. And um, I don't want to be born until about 1980. That'd be good. <laughs> and, uh, and by the way, can I have some athletic ability, you know, it, it, or at least some athletic knowledge? So I know the difference between a football and a soccer. <laughs> I'm terrible. I am terrible. But when you look at all of the things that people are actually penalized, judged, and stereotyped, on it's the things that they didn't choose the things that were given to us as gifts from the divine the creator the universe however you look at it but we did not put ourselves together we didn't do yeah. that and then yeah. we're here and we judge each other and we treat each other sometimes terribly based on that and recognizing that the package that you live in often determines what's going to, you know, what, what, what is going to happen in your life. If you were born mm. to parents who were wealthy, you probably got to go to decent schools. If you were born to parents who were yeah. poor, you didn't. Um, if That's you, right. if there's so many variables there that, you know, I, I would have to tell people just buy the book and read it because it's really deep and rich and it helps you to really think and to feel into the reality of each individual's privilege. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I do want to stop for a moment with that word privilege, because I unpack that for people. And, and particularly yeah. as a one, I always say, you know, I can be right, or I can take the time to actually help you shift your heart. And mm. people hear the language, white privilege, the defenses go up. Because when people hear white privilege, what is often heard is 
you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you never worked a day for anything you have. Somebody said that to me, my defenses would go up, okay? Because I've worked hard and I do have privilege, as do you, as do, does any person that we can look at in some way, shape, or form. They may have something that someone else does not have. But I call that an automatic advantage so that people mm -hmm. can understand that what is meant in this context when we talk about privilege is advantages that you were born into. For instance, if you were born with white skin as opposed to black skin, you have more advantages when you're trying to navigate through the obstacles of the world. You don't have to fight for everything that. Uh, should be a right for you to have. So the yeah. navigation of the world is easier for you if your skin is white than if your skin is black. Um, do people, you know, uh, is Elon Musk, it's his children, uh, will they have more sort of material advantages than our children do? Well, Probably because he can buy them anything, buy him a rocket ship and take them to the moon. If this all yeah. goes. But it's understanding the context behind privilege. It's what can you access that someone else gets stopped at the door because yeah. of the color of their skin or the way they worship or how they identify in yeah. terms of gender, gender identity. That's that's an automatic advantage to be cisgendered, um, white, to be um, uh, Christian in this country. You know, yeah. we can the whole list of what the dominant norms are. And so I spend a lot of time on that in the book because I want people to understand deeply. You'll never stay the course on doing this type of work. If you don't take it in, not just here, but it's got to, you have to understand it. It has to touch your heart in a way where you yeah. recognize, ouch, you know, I never thought about the fact that Deborah Egerton wouldn't have the life that she has had, had it not been for my father having worked for a short time for the railroads and therefore he could get a mortgage at a bank when other black people could not, you know, and, and it's, mm -hmm. it's deep, Mickey, it's deep. Yeah. Many people don't want to go that deep, but if you look yeah. at it, yeah, it makes a difference. And you, uh, you do, you have the book, but you also teach this in courses. I know you have, you know, cohorts, you take people through this if they want to go deeper for themselves or they want to become practitioners of your work. Um, Dr. E, thank you so much for your time tonight, for sharing so much with us. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more in the book. There's so much on your website. You have a whole library, essentially, on your website. Um, you have videos, you have articles. I mean, just so many resources for people to check out. So Y'all go check that out 
and, um, you know, keep up with all the things Dr. E is doing. I feel like you are always on the go and always teaching somewhere online, in person. And so you can really catch her all over the place. So thank you so much for being here and being with me. You're always amazing. And I cannot wait to hug your neck this summer at the IEA conference. I know that's going to be so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and don't forget to use I want my dance lesson. <laughs> <laughs> we will definitely do that. So uh, everyone, we hope you have a great night. Uh, like I always say, you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. So we will see you later. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional, unceded Ramaytush Ohlone lands. If you are interested in learning more about native lands, languages, and territories, the website native-land.ca is a helpful resource for you to learn about and acknowledge the indigenous land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team also includes Izzy Angus, Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Patty Fort, and Nikki Rhoda. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all of those whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities. <laughs>